Welcome to the Ronin Podcast, number 46. Yes, we are into number 46. Today on the show, we have Mikey Stevenson. Mikey runs the Rope Access and Climbing Podcast. You can see that on all of the regular podcast mediums that you use. And I met Mikey, I guess it would have been 2019 after Grimp at Duisburg for Rope Trip, where he was competing with one of the Rope Access teams there. So we're going to talk to Mikey about some Rope Access, about why rescuers would want to have Rope Access, and we're going to spend some time talking about Rope Trip. Uh, He's been to four of them. We're going to talk about the different events and the different challenges that are there, how they train for it, and what his overall thoughts of competing in something like a Rope Trip are. Without any further ado, Podcast 46. So here we are with the Ronin Podcast. We're on number 46, and we have Mikey Stevenson with us. Mikey is from a rope access background. He's got a couple other tricks in, of the trade up his sleeve. And I met Mike in Duisburg, was it Mike? Yeah, I think it was Duisburg. Um, I think we were both in Salt Lake, but I don't think I met you that, back at that one. Yeah, I didn't I didn't meet you back there, but I think we're, we actually crossed paths in 2018 at uh well i guess it would have been grip day uh, yes in in there so and then yeah, i we were there. on my way to uh rope trip um the world qualify or the world championship there in deuceburg yeah because we showed up at the very last day for that i had a mm-hmm. wedding to attend between grip day and that but yeah that was pretty good so what we're going to chat about today is a little bit about rope access some of the new info that's out um a little bit about qualification levels, a look for people that don't have a lot of information about rope access, but talk about why rescuers would want to talk rope access or take it. we we'll talk a little bit about rope trip and uh, some COVID response, and that should probably round it out. Yeah, I think that'll cover a pretty good episode here. A pretty good time frame. Yeah. So what's new in the rope access world? Like, for guys that might be listening to our end of it, they've got a lot of rescue background, but they may not, they may know what rope access is. They may see it in their community. Some of them may not have training. So, you know, what's rope access, what's new in the rope access world for those folks? Um, well, what is new in the rope access world is as of April 1st, 2019, Sprat has updated their syllabus for training. Um, so that's obviously noon. Um, and then IRATA has been making um, changes as well to their syllabus. Now, the big difference between SPRAT and IRATA is IRATA is an international certified uh, certifying body, and SPRAT is getting there. They're primarily um, North American based in the United States. So some of the changes that would be looking for would be, I know Sprat's now talking about upping their hours. They haven't yet, but they're talking about upping their hours to meet IRATA. So do you think this is going to become almost one standard or do you still see there's going to be differences between the two organizations? Ah, yes. Um, Sprat has been talking about that for a while now. I think there's more push to do it now than ever. Um, but IRATA was in the same position once before as well. So when they when IRATA started, um, they were also 500 hours um, and six months to upgrade 
And then over time, as they got numbers and as they got level threes, they were able to upgrade that to, you know, what we are today as a thousand hours in one year. Um, so Sprat is definitely following in that um, footstep and they will get there eventually. And I think it's a, definitely a positive thing for the industry and for the organization. Do you, and I'm not going to hold you to this, obviously, you know, um, what's your opinion? Do you think eventually that the certificates are going to almost become synonymous? Like now with the Australian Rope Access Association can direct entry into Sprat. Do you see a point in time when a Sprat or Irata can direct entry straight across? Um, so currently you are able to convert um, your Sprat certifications to Irata. Oh, there you um, go. There is a process for it. Um, it's a pretty lengthy process but it is doable um, and you would have to refer to your training member company or IRATA training member company to get more information on that. Okay now the other thing that we had heard in the past the big differences between like a Sprat and IRATA was the audit procedures for the training company or for the work company that the IRATA ones were a mandatory audit type system where Sprat has gone to a voluntary audit system is there any information more about that or is that kind of going to stay status quo with those two systems the way they are? Um, I think IRATA, well, even over the last couple of years, IRATA has upped that process of uh, company auditing, um, both for their trainers and for their operators. Um, as for SPRAT, it is a good leap forward to start auditing um, their membership. It definitely is a helpful thing to standardize companies throughout the organization to ensure that everyone is um, adhering to the same paperwork and everyone follows the same rules. As of right now, SPRAD is, like you said, voluntary, where IRAD is mandatory. Okay. And just how about a quick outline for the rescuers that are out there listening to this going, what are they talking about at all? Mm -hmm. um, just a real brief what rope access is and what the three levels or four if you want to add in an instructor style level uh, are to that particular system. Okay, so all, uh, both IRATA and SPRAT have three levels, level one, two, and three. IRATA has an instructor level as well, which you can do after you're in uh, after you're a level three um the big difference and to keep this in simple terms um your level one would be your standard technician that would be on the ropes doing the work and being supervised by anyone of a greater level being level two or level three your level two to keep this in simple terms would be a rescue technician so they are trained on more rigging maneuvers as well they're trained in a lot more rescue so anything that um, a level one would have to do a level two has to do with a casualty attached to them in the descent mode okay um, and then your level three um, is in control of the entire project start to finish when it comes to rope access um, so they're in charge of controlling the paperwork the rigging rescue plans, they're in charge of supervising the crew, holding safety meetings, and then on top of that, they're in charge of executing the rope access work, so the rigging, um, getting people to and from where they need to go, 
as well, if there were to be a rescue, it's also their job to conduct the rescue in whatever suitable manner that their rescue plan is outlined. Okay, so this brings up a bit of an interesting question and it's a similar one that happened when we were uh, had Rich Hattier up here doing some training on ARM. And it's when a fire department shows up, they're not allowed to use civilian assistance for, you know, just for lack of a better word, we'll call it civilian assistance. Now, a level three may be in a better trained spot in order to do an ascent rescue or ascend into rescue mm -hmm. than the local fire department might be. What would be some of the things that you would recommend the local fire department to do or to know either before or at the time of an incident if they have rope access work going on in their community? That is a great question. Um, so to keep this as simple as possible, a rope access team is a self-contained rescue team. All right, so what does that mean? It means that they have a rescue plan and they will get the individual to the closest platform or ground, or I should say grade, without assistance from outside, uh, outside sources. Okay, so a fire service or a rescue service should um, be prepared for that. Okay, a rope access team will not allow a fire department to interject and try to take over the scene. It won't happen um, because it's their people on the ropes, it's their people in that situation, and their technicians are prepared to, and they have a, a faster response time traditionally than what a fire service would be able to conduct. It's only because of the gear that they have, it has, it's because they're already in location. It's not that they have to set up anything to do any, uh, to actually execute the, the rescue, okay? So in the rescue plan, it will be the level three conducting it in whatever manner the rescue plan entails, and they will get that person or persons to a safe location where then they will uh, hand over to medical aid or to you to continue onwards. So if that was say, prime example would be a window washing scenario. Yeah, pardon me, a window washing scenario in downtown. Okay. So say it's a tiered building, right? They will get the individual down to that first tier or the tier that's directly underneath that person. And that's where the rescue plan would basically come to a halt where the fire service would then be able to get the person to the ground. Okay. So pre-planning would be huge. There is having the local fire department or the local rescue team, whoever's doing high angle work, go and have a conversation with that rope access team that's on that site and take a look at their rescue plan and coordinate amongst each other. What's going to happen. That would, that would definitely be helpful. Um, Unfortunately, it doesn't happen. You have window washers all over the over the big cities all day, every day. Um, the big difference will be, are they working from the bosun's chair or where you would have to basically conduct the entire rescue or is it a, um, a rope access organization that they are relying on themselves to do the rescue? Yeah, and I mean, here in Canada, that'll be dependent on the province and the time of day and everything else that goes with it. 
Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I guess speaking of provinces, that kind of segues into another question. Province-wide or Canada-wide, do different provinces have different acceptance standards for rope access? Yes, they do. So in BC, um, and under WorkSafe BC, it's part 34. Alberta is part 41. Nova Scotia is part 21. And I believe Newfoundland is currently working on one, as well as Ontario. But those, Ontario hasn't passed a rope access regulation yet. And I don't believe Newfoundland has officially yet either. But I could be wrong on that on the timing. So does that mean people that are in Saskatchewan or Manitoba shouldn't worry about it? Or is there rope access happening in those communities as well? So in those communities or in those provinces, um, the kind of gold, uh, golden stamp there would be uh, adhere to the highest standard um, when, it came, when it comes to rope access. So if you are a, a Alberta technician, you would adhere to the Alberta regulations. Um, that's the easiest way to go about it. Um, because it's not saying you cannot do it in those other provinces that don't currently have regulations, but um, if a OHS officer does show up, they do have the ability to shut you down depending on the circumstance. But as long as you can adhere to a standard that is greater than what you what is currently offered, if you can adhere to a standard that is recognized elsewhere in the country, it kind of gives you a little bit more of a, a foot to stand on. It's funny, I mean, I ask these questions, I do have some of the answers. We did uh, is, uh, some glass removal at the Human Rights Museum in Winnipeg, and OHS Manitoba wanted us to get an engineer to sign off on the, the metal structure. Mm -hmm. So I got the engineer to sign off on the entire SPRAT Code of Practice, Safe Practices Act as well. Yeah. And they, they bought it for a buck. We did the entire thing on rope access. Yeah. Yeah. So and and it, could be, it could be that as well, right? Where they, at the end of the day, they're trying to cover their butts. Yeah. Um, majority of OHS officers have very little to no experience with rope access because in Western Canada specifically, um, it is fairly new. Um, it's only really blown up in the last 10 years where rope access in Nova Scotia has been around for upwards of 30 years now. So now is that the influence offshore oil and gas IRATA, or is that something else? Absolutely. It definitely is sparked out of the oil and gas industry, um, offshore, onshore, a lot, a lot of the inspection work on the stacks, um in um, dartmouth and halifax region was all done off rope access and so they were kind of the the frontiers of rope access and they actually all majority of them started from diving and they just kind of started doing rope access and then were finally certified by Adams. So out here where you don't have your climbers to do rope access, there's no mountains back east. So you got to have divers do rope access. Yeah, well, it, I guess from the, the individuals that have been around from that time, um, they found it a pretty easy transition being the rope work side of things of uh, the professional commercial diving um, to rope access. It was just, you know, you're above water, you're below water. So 
Okay. Now with these updates for the rescuers that are listening to this, when you talk, you know, Sprat made an update or Irata made an update. Could you explain kind of like what is that update entailing? Um, you know, like kind of give us a little bit of concept or a little bit of information around that. Um, so I guess before we dive right into this, are you talking, do you want to stick to Sprat or Irata? Or? It doesn't matter. Just for so a rescuer, when they hear this, Hey, you know, the rope access update. world just did an update and they're like, yeah. well, NFPA doesn't update. They rewrite the standard. Yeah. yeah. Right. So is that the same thing just to give those guys that thought in their head and go, okay, what does an update mean for them? Okay. All right. Just want to know how you want me to direct the question. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah. Um, so Sprat recently did an update um, back in April uh, on, sorry, Sprat recently did an update that's effective April 1st, 2019. Uh, this update changed the training syllabus for all technicians from level one to three. Um, and certain things could be as simple as a change of name of a certain maneuver. Uh, as well, in the level two, they introduced several more rescues into the level two syllabus, which is actually a, a very good step forward. Um, and then the level threes, the big thing there was changing terminology and verbiage for the rescue, uh, the team rescue. So that's also a good thing as well. So a couple extra requirements there. Uh, and then stepping back to the level one, um, the, uh, the induction of aid climbing for level ones at, for Sprat is also a great um, bonus. And the ascent rescue, that's also a great bonus. So just so the rescue viewers out there understand that. So yeah, it is almost like a, an NFPA document rewrite. Um, people have gone together from boards and committees and decided to make these changes. I think the difference here though, compared to the NFPA committees up saddle, and this is still consensus documentation, is it not? Yes. So it's, it's a hundred percent consensus of what people want as yeah. opposed to majority. Usually it goes out to, um, their committees and stuff and they reach out and find out between their membership to find out what kind of changes do they see fit and how they want to approach them when these updates come around. Um, I, I know that <clears throat> Sprat has some big differences on when it comes to how to utilize gear where Irata kind of keeps it a little bit more open um, to the user. For, so user's discretion leaves it a little bit more open, but where I, where Sprat, when it comes to the evaluation, um, they have a lot more parameters um, of what you can and cannot do with certain okay. pieces of gear. And so just so the rescuer out there understands, your level one person that's being supervised on a site Yes. is trained to horizontally and vertically aid climb, ascend and descend, pardon? Just horizontal aid climb. Okay. Horizontal, ascend and descend rope. Yep. And rescue someone from ascent and descent. Correct. So their skill set of a level one rope, re rope access, sorry, technician. Yes, with the addition of passing mid rope knots, going over an edge, 
as well uh, doing rope to rope transfers. So going from a one rope system to a complete different rope system. Okay. No, and I think that's good for rescuers to know so they can kind of get a, an outline and a you know background of what this is that they're walking into if they have no background in it. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess we'll chat a little bit about that particular thing. Why, like as a rope access technician, you've taken some NFPA style training. Correct. Why would a rope, well, sorry, why would a rescuer or a rescue technician want to take rope access training? Um, rope access training will give you a great sense of security and understanding of the rope systems that you are utilizing more than the systems that you currently are using. Um, rope access is dealt with the vertical world. So you are in suspension for majority of the course over your four day training course, maybe five day, depending on where you go. Um, so your awareness of, and situational awareness will be that much greater. So if you go and end up having to do some over the edge work, working off a litter and stuff like that, you'll just be more situational aware and more comfortable in those environments. Right on. And I know there is fire departments out there that either train to SPRAT or actually certify their people in SPRAT or IRATA, depending on you know, what standards kind of local for them. So mm -hmm. it is happening. It is happening. I think it's a great thing. It's a great addition to the fire service to have that rope access uh, certification or at least training. Um, just so you are, as a technician, more comfortable in that environment and more comfortable with the equipment that you're utilizing. Yeah, to break off on a little tangent here from rope access and I mean, agree, the more you can bring to the table, generally the better technician you are in any field. You also have a bit of a background with the ACMG, Association of Canadian Mountain Guides. Is there rope skills from ACMG that are also relevant in rope access and in rope rescue? I would say that the ACMG certification helped me more on understanding the NFPA um, way of thinking um methodology if you will um more than the rope access now the rope access gave me experience um of being comfortable and understanding rope systems and being able to work as a team and um think on the fly a little bit more where the acmg gave me the skills understanding and knowledge of how to use you know figure eight break bars prussics um tandem prussics prussic mining pulleys and all that sort of equipment where in the rope access industry, you don't see that stuff. Okay. So generally it'd be, once again, I guess the more hands-on you get onto systems, no matter what they are, as long as they're rope systems, the better off you are at the other end. Yes, absolutely. Right on. Um, back into the rope access part of it. COVID response. What has... What has the rope access community has been doing in regards to the COVID response, in regards to the training, the certification? I mean, these are certifications that need to be upheld and whatnot. Uh, great, uh, great topic here. Um, so with this uh, pandemic happening, um, IRATA sent out a survey to all the membership to find out who's training, who's not training, who's operating, who's not operating, et cetera. And, um, for North America specifically, there are currently no IRATA companies that are training right now. They've all shut down because it is virtually impossible to 
effectively conduct any sort of an assessment and effectively um, do training in such times where a virus like this is transmitted so easily. So to protect both the staff of all training companies as well the individuals that are um, looking to do their training or recertify their certifications, um, we got to make sure that they're all safe first and foremost. So it's pretty much impossible during a training course to make sure that you can do that. Um, now, what IRATA has done um, effective immediately, effective right now is they've added a 90 day extension to certifications that are expiring due to COVID-19. Um, this is a process that you have to go to irata.org and apply for yourself to get this extension. And if anyone is expiring um, within 30 days, then I highly recommend going to do that extension because we obviously don't know um, how long this is going to last for. Um, however, if you are outside of those 30 days from expiration, please wait until you're within 30 days as your application will probably be denied. Um, Sprat has um, also done some changes here. Um, what they have done is made a temporary variance to section 3.3.1 of the Sprat safe work practices. Um, and that is basically, it's not an extension, but they're allowing up or they are allowing the companies, the employing companies, to allow their technicians to continue working through the COVID-19 uh, circumstances. They're not extending certi certifications, but if you are expired, you are allowed to continue to work. And under this temporary um, variation, uh, variance of the, uh, of the standard, you are allowed to maintain working, providing the company is okay with that. Right on. So basically, they're both are doing accommodations until that we can get to a point where we can train and test and evaluate folks again. Yes. Um, I know that IRATA <clears throat> is paying attention to, uh, to the situation and they are watching a time frame um, because obviously 90 days, you've already gone three years for your certification, right? Now we're adding another 90 days onto that. They don't wanna keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Now we're looking at, you know, four, maybe five years without certification um, or any sort of competency test on, for these individuals. But um, that is something that IRATA will have to um, combat when that time comes. Okay. You know, and that is interesting. And it's, it's so easy to find those type of lagging indicators, if you want to use that terminology, where you wonder if there will be an increase in incidents or anything along that line, because not only are people not getting recertified, as the work is slowed down, there's probably not as many people on rope every day, which means that those skills, they're all perishable. And while you, you know, you, nobody wants to see people get hurt, you don't want to, see, you know, anything like that. It is a fine balance, I guess, between when do we say enough is enough and have to get people certified and when, you know, do we not? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, it, it, 
as an instructor myself, I do find that the knowledge loss over three years even it can be pretty substantial for some people. Um, now, the more that that prolongs, it's only going to be more more so. Now, the big thing that I would like to say is for anybody out there that is in uh, this process of not being able to recertify because it's, no training centers available, no trainings available, they don't feel comfortable in that circumstance, any of those sort of reasons, keep up with your knowledge. There's lots of resources out there to, you know, keep your mind going and keep thinking about rope access or the, the industry that you're involved with. Yeah, absolutely. I know I still volunteer with search and rescue and we're doing online stuff. Um, you know, for people that are listening, Coquitlam SARS actually put out videos in North Shore, Central Fra or sorry, uh, what are they now? CV, uh, Fraser Valley, uh, Central, yeah, wherever they are, they, they changed their name, I believe. Plus, I know now my team's also looped into this so that you can log in and take a look in order to keep perishable skills like rope skills up. Yeah. Um, with that, I don't know if it's an IRATA. I believe with Sprat, though, you have to be on rope every six months. Is that the same as IRATA? Okay, um, so the so this is an, uh, one of the good um, updates that Sprat has introduced to their system. So IRATA changed this back in 2014, August of 2014, where they introduced refresher training. So if you are not on ropes within six months, then it's highly recommended to uh, undergo refresher training. Now. <clears throat> It is a should, it's not a shall. Okay. Okay. Um, so keep that in mind, but under IRATA's syllabus, um, if you are conducting refresher training, it is not allowed to be conducted during occupational hours, i.e. not on the job site. Under SPRAT and other organizations, you will have to refer to your organization for their standard, but SPRAT specifically, you can do it during occupational hours. So right now with this COVID, is this still in play? Like should these folks, you know, grab some ropes and climb some ropes on their own in order to get this, find a level three to play with one day? Like how is that gonna work out? Um, absolutely. Um, this is in circumstances like this, which we can't really control. Um, if you have the gear, if you have the training, if you have a level three supervisor around, um, and you have the ability to get on ropes in a safe, controlled fashion, please feel free. It's only beneficial to you. Um, but with all IRATA training centers being closed, it's pretty hard to get in and do any refresher training. So, Yeah, it's, uh, it certainly is difficult, and especially with you know, decontamination of ropes and equipment and things like this on the flip side. So, Yeah. Um, next thing just to chat about we met at rope trips um you've competed at a few mm -hmm. and just want to chat and spend some time talking about rope trip and the benefits of doing these types of events so i guess to start with rope trips that you've been to i just want to give us a general overview of where when how why kind of thing <laughs> well where we have been so the rat team has been to um, Salt Lake City 2016, um, Columbia uh, 2016 in the fall, um, Salt Lake City 2018, 
and Duisburg 2018. So Salt Lake City, we were fifth place in the world. Um, Columbia, we were third place. Salt Lake City 2018, we were first place. And Duisburg 2018, we were in first place for the world. Uh, congratulations. I remember watching that last event. It was actually quite great to watch. So. <laughs> that was a, a bit of controversy and stuff, but it was great to watch from the, from the, the side. A little, little controversial, but, um, you know, it was, it was fun. To, uh, it was a great event. The venue is spectacular. Um, but yeah, that last, that last event was interesting because when you go against a, a team of all Russians and then we have a one teammate that basically doesn't speak a single word of English kind of makes the dynamic of a team rescue very difficult <laughs> or a team scenario. I should say it wasn't a rescue, but yeah. A little bit more entertaining. So oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you, how big is the teams? Like how big is the teams? What do the training requirements to be on a team have to be? Uh, there are no training requirements. There's no certification requirements. Um, basically you do have to have some, sorry. Um, there's no training requirements. You do have to adhere to some sort of um, rope-based certification. Um, if that's rope access certification, arborism, um, rope rescue, some sort of rope organization. Um, and then you have to do a skills test to make sure that you can climb a rope safely for their purposes at the event. Um, Training-wise, we didn't really get any training for our team. We just kind of found a couple people and trained one day before we ended up going into competition together. That was quite fun. <laughs> um, and then I guess, what was the other part of this? How many people are on the team? Ah, um, so we had three, uh, so teams are of three people. And then we had our uh, kind of manager coach with us at all the competitions. Okay. And now for your particular team, uh, all level threes, I'm assuming, or? Yeah. So because of uh, the company that we were employed by, uh, they mandated that it had to be all level threes. That is not a requirement for on behalf of Petzl, but it is a, it was a requirement for the company that we were employed by. Okay. And yeah, just to back up, Rope Trip is a Petzl event. It's uh, sponsored. Correct. It's yeah. the industrial version of rock trip, basically. Correct. Um, so yeah, rope, uh, the rope trip is, I got, we got to specify that specifically is this is not a sanctioned event from any rope access organization. Yeah. It's a, it's a competition. Yes. So when you looked at doing that day of training, what kind of skills were you training with that day? Like, what did you, Hey, I've got, you know, eight hours, six hours. What are we going to hit here? Um, great question. So we were kind of completely going in blind. We had no idea what to get, but what we had no idea what gear we needed. We had no idea if we had to supply gear. We had no idea if we were even up for the challenge. Um, so well, basically we kind of, went on the trusty YouTube, searched videos of past events, and we're just like, okay, this is approximately what they were doing. 
how can we do this in our training center? So we basically spent probably two hours um, doing team rescues and three-way uh, haul systems. Um, and we did a lot of um, uh, like individual rescues on people, just trying to basically take our skills and just make them faster, more proficient. Um, but did it set us up for success in Salt Lake City in 2016? Yes, I, in one way it did. But when we got to the competition, we were hit with a broadside of a barn there because it was, it's nothing like rope access if you follow the code book. <laughs> okay, grip day is nothing like, no, it's actually, it's like, <laughs> okay. Um, so let's start with Salt Lake then in 2016. You yeah. said you showed up and they made you do a test to just confirm some level of competency. What did that test look like, that competency test? Um, I believe it was you know, ascend a rope, descend a rope, go back up, do a rope to rope transfer, go through a re-anchor. Um, a lot of people may know that as a re-belay. <laughs> yeah, so just something simple. Yeah, I believe that Salt Lake City 18 was roughly the same uh, skills exam as well. So basically a level one skill set. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then when you started the first one in 2016 in Salt Lake, do you remember the events that were there? Um, for the most part, I believe. Um, so our first event was the team event in um, the big shop at the, at the, um, in the big shop. And basically I was the central point of a three-way hall system. And I had to go around and basically be pulled around the shop and put weights in kind of a, a chalk bag and have these balloons fall to the ground. And it was a timed event and you had to do it within 20 minutes as well. You also had, and your time stopped when a marker hit the bullseye. Okay. Um, then we had a water bucket challenge where um, you take a, 12 kilo bucket of water, climb through a, um, an obstacle course. This one in particular, you had to basically do some pipe fitting. You had to take um, this tube apart with uh, fittings, turn it around, put it back in place, make sure the fittings are tight, and then pour the water in from the top into the bucket underneath, and then continue onwards from there. Um, there was a um, speed climb kind of work, uh, maneuver where you went up through a deviation, through a re-anchor, across the walkway, down through another re-anchor, <clears throat> assemble a tripod and lower a bag that was probably like 80 pounds to the ground, I believe. I think I'm missing something there. And then we had a, another one it's a little bit more mechanical base, but you had established a pull through on a beam, climb up. Once you get there, then you had to get on another set of ropes, do a pickoff rescue and lower that casualty to the ground, do a series of rope rope transfers across the shop, come back down. Um, and then you had these barn doors at the facility, you had to take off the first set of barn doors because they were damaged or whatever, put a new set of barn doors on, 
close that and then head back down to the ground. So that was 2016 event. Yeah. So how many days is that? Uh, three days. A three day event. Yeah. And is there training that goes with it? Is there any sort of symposium or dealer fair, or is it just strictly, um, doing the, the different events? Uh, throughout the entire weekend, <clears throat> Petzl does a great job in putting on different symposiums. Um, they usually get a, uh, gear PPE course in there. They usually have like, um, an individual, um, Patrick Delaney come over from Australia and do some seminars, um, and symposiums on different pieces of gear or different, uh, rescue techniques uh, as well. You know, there's. Petzl obviously is always releasing new equipment, so it's a great time for them to kind of showcase their new equipment as well. Right on. So after that, uh, Columbia. Yes. In the next one. Now, did you find a great deal of difference in the latitude of skills when you went to Columbia? Like, was it greatly different than what you are used to doing, or was it pretty much the same standard that you follow up here? Um, it was put on by Petzl, so they had to follow kind of the base rule of two points of attachment, um, follow under, you know, generalized rope access kind of safe practices. Um, <clears throat> but that, that event, all the events were team events. There were no individual events. So that was kind of a, an interesting scenario. Okay. So like, give me an example of one of those team events. Um, <clears throat> So the one of uh, one example would be on the outside of the building. Uh, we were at one of the universities in Meldine. I could be pronouncing that incorrect. I'm sorry, but um, on the outside of it, there were three panels, and each team had a single panel, and you had to climb up to the top of the the university and basically build this panel from the top down and make sure that it kind of all fit together um and basically if the wind caught it wrong it kind of dislodged part of the panel it'd just be a nuisance <laughs> but um so that was one of the team events um there was another team and uh, one of the other events was taking a unrigged piece of aluminum truss rigging it up making a three-way cross fall through the structure up and over top and then putting it down inside a set out kind of taped block on the other side. So that was a one. We had a, another one where it was <clears throat> um, basically speed climb rescue. So you had to climb up past a set of knots, rescue it casually, and then come back down and then run over, go back and go up another set of ropes. And there was a, another casualty that was on aid and you got to pick kind of the device, how you want to be attached on aid, but you had to pick that person up and come back down. Um, and then there was another event there where you basically played basketball off ropes, off ropes. So you start at one end and you climb up, pass knots, come back down, you go up, do a rope to rope transfer, you traverse a tension line, do another rope to rope transfer, come back down, run across the basketball court, head up another set of ropes. And there was a shorty rope kind of right at 
at the three point line and of a basketball court and you had to try to sink a basketball they were using soccer balls there but you sink a basketball in the basket net. <laughs> right on yeah so entertaining it was it was entertaining but um i'm not going to go into the rest of that conversation <laughs> we'll jump the other put, i'm gonna put it this way okay canadians don't play basketball we play hockey <laughs> <laughs> wow eh? <laughs> so yeah the other salt lake and then dewisburg that was at the landshaft park yeah 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 and that's for people that have never been to the landshaft park I've had the opportunity to train there before Grimp. You've competed there. It is basically an industrial rope playground, for lack of a better word. So it was, I, I'm absolutely amazed during the air raids of World War II that it was not taken out being a steel manufacturing plant. Um, this uh, plant is well over 100 years old now. And uh, they basically, it's a condemned facility that they've turned into a leisure park and you have everything from rock climbing to via ferrata to rope access competitions festivals there it's absolutely remarkable to see what they have uh, done with this facility yeah and i mean just to elaborate on that when he says rock climbing and via ferrata you're rock climbing out of the old coal pits. You're doing via ferrata on the smokestack. So it's it's like an industrial play park. It's it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. I when we when we showed up, we're walking around this refinery, if you will, in flip flops and shorts and t-shirts. We're just like, there's something drastically wrong with this feeling right now. But this is awesome. <laughs> when we went to train there the first time, we show up at big tangent here, but. The, the guy hands us like a one page, half page written, a like type document, F read it. It's in German. No idea what it says. Fill in your name on the bottom, sign there. The entire team, seven of us or eight of us, whatever it was, signs in. He hands us the key to the place and says, put it in the mail slot when you leave. That was the orientation, legal disclaimer, you know, whole works for the entire event. We went and did rope back, a rope rescue training there all day and just put the key through the mail slot when we were done. That's amazing. Yeah, like um, with Rope Trip 2020, obviously it's been postponed indefinitely right now in Singapore. <clears throat> Absolutely would love to go there. Singapore looks like a beautiful place, but I don't know how they're going to top that venue like that's unbelievable <laughs> so let's talk about that particular rope trip you guys came in first in the world in that one um so that, that event, events. sorry what were yeah, the, talk event? about the event yeah okay cool um so i'm i'm not going to go in any order here but uh, there was a pool table event where you had to climb up the team of you had to climb up and basically play um pool on essentially a snooker's table um but with like little kind of pucks instead of balls obviously they'd fall off and potentially hurt somebody so these little pucks had to go in um and there was a bell on the bottom of this big massive snooker's table that they decided to build in the air and if you shook the snooker's table you 
rang the bell and got a penalty for it. So as you're doing rope access, you're trying to be, you know, you know, have a little bit of finesse while playing pool and being strung up between multiple rope to rope transfers. It was extremely challenging. Um, and, and yet super fun. So amazing. Um, then there's a water bucket challenge where you start with that 12 kilo bucket again, you climb up a ladder, you get into the meat and potatoes of this refinery where you're kind of climbing through the steel work and into the pipe racks and stuff like that. Then you get on this roof and from that roof, you have 60, 70 foot ascent with this bucket attached to you, which most people were not too fond of that climb. I think that was the one part of this uh, maneuver, uh, this exercise I was actually most excited about was that vertical climb. Then you hit a bell that was kind of your checkpoint. And then you traverse over a tension line from one structure to these other silos. Get off the tension line, run around the silo, up on top of the ladder, you descend down, do a rope to rope transfer, come across another tension line, get off that. You descend down another 10 feet, walk across. I mean, literally walk across um, like a 24 inch pipe. Doesn't, you know, in normal circumstances, this seems, you know, pretty easy. In our circumstance, when we decided to um, have the luxury of doing this maneuver, it was raining, so don't slip. Uh, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, you go down and then you get on another diagonal tension line and head down into the finish to weigh your bucket. So that was that one. Um, then they had the, I want to call it the coal miner, but I feel it's the wrong name for it. But, um, this one was an amazing one. You basically load up this bucket with all the gravel. You set up multiple, um, cross hauls it's all pre-rigged for you but you have to get up there and then basically set up your haul systems to do a three-way haul and get this bucket around this bell and then to the other side so you can actually dump it out in another bucket and that bucket was then weighed and you were scored based on how much weight was left when you dumped it all out um, you got bonus points for hitting the bell uh, the petzl bell so that was fun um, and in spite, I guess I've, you could understand English at that event, we had hall systems instead of one, two, three, we had <clears throat> banana, kiwi, and kumquat. Those were our names for our, uh, our hall systems. And it's hilarious because we were just like randomly yelling out these words and everyone was just like, if you could understand English, you understand what we're saying, but that was how we our term, uh, our communication for our teammates were which one to haul on, which one to lower <laughs> instead of one, two, three and getting confused. Right on. It's good, uh, good use of communication skill there. Yeah. And then we had the crocodile and, um, so they had big ponds, um, settler ponds there at this venue and this massive arm that comes out over top probably 80 90 feet up so you send up that line from the bottom you get up and then you start doing rope to rope transfers and all these ropes are shorties um there's a couple re-anchors rigged into it but 
this is where rope access rules of do not swing kind of get thrown out the window because you were doing like 30 foot whippers just to get to the next rope. And if you missed it, you just hung there and you were unable to finish. Like you had to get to the other end of that rope and you had to swing to get there. It was, there was no other option. It was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and then, yeah, you just jump up on the tension line from once you get through, I think there's six, seven rope to rope transfers there on the tension line down. And then you uh, come down over top of the settling pond and kind of hopefully don't dunk yourself and then <laughs> get off the ropes. So that was awesome. And then uh, the semif pardon me, the semifinal event, which unfortunately, fortunately turned into the final event. Uh, was a three-way um, rescue. So there was three rescues on the structure. They were running simultaneous. So they had two teams working on at the same time. Now you had an individual that's roughly 250 pounds. There was another individual that was 200 pounds. Another individual is like 150, 175. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and each person on the team had to rescue one of those three people. So our big guy, we sent him up the straight rope to pick the big guy and bring him down on the diagonal line. I went up through the multiple rope to ropes and re-anchors and rescued my guy. Um, and each casualty, if you will, was jinked up in a different way. So my guy was on a chest ascender. The big guy was jinked up on his ASAP where his ID was completely loose. And then the other guy, I think he like was jinked up on an ASAP and a hand ascender. He popped his chest ascender off or something like that. Um, and yeah, so we had to basically go up, figure out the situation, bring them all back down. So, so we won that, but, um, in the semifinal events, there was something happened between all three of those other teams that they all got disqualified. So like someone was on one point, put the casualty on one point, didn't follow instructions properly, but disqualified them or whatever. It was chaotic at best, but then Mr. Petzl himself, the guy organizing this situation said, Hey, you guys won. Um, and that's unfortunately, fortunately how we won the championship there. So, and then the final event where there's marginal controversy is, um, you basically have the second place team went up against us and he had to disassemble the snooker table, but here you had four people instead of three people. The Russian team that we went up against got to pull another Russian from the second Russian team. And there was not another English speaking teammate in the finals that we could use. So we had to pull a French person from team France, I believe that almost spoke no, like not a single word of English. So we're going against four people that have great communication and train all the time together against us that we don't train our team very much together yet, let alone throw an individual that doesn't speak a lick of English into the mix. It was very challenging. So 
And I'll go on a limb here because I've seen the Paris or the French rope access competition in Paris. Their rope access skills are all slightly different than ours over here as well. Yes, yes. Like the French standard is is different, right? So each continent kind of has their own standard, just like here we have Sprat where, you know, Norwegians have this soft system. Um, <clears throat> Australia have the ERA system, which is now Sprat. They've kind of been engulfed by Sprat, but, you know. Each, Germany. Yeah, so each kind of continent has their own system. Uh, a couple of questions with that. Um, the casualties. Rescue Randy's, your people, someone you didn't know? Uh, complete, no idea, had no idea. They basically just, they were like judges of the event um, that they pre-selected to go hang up there and be our casualties for the event. So, I mean, that throws in a bit of a different uh, thought process and definitely some different challenges and some different anxiety when you're rescuing a person that's not only knows what they're doing, but is also the ability to judge you and stop you. Yes. Yeah. And the, and the thing is, if you did anything wrong, the, the, the casualties put, could potentially pick the judge that's looking right over your shoulder and be like, right, like, look down at me, like, look what's going on here. Um, I don't know if that's the case. I don't know what happened to those other individuals, unfortunately, but I do. And I'll just keep it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I know some of the casualties that were also judges and was aware of some of the dropping to one point of casualties. When yeah. you drop a judge to one point, they have a tendency of noticing. Yes. So, um, so just generally on this, like the rope trip idea, the competition, mm -hmm. good, bad, like, from a rope access technician point of view, did you gain anything out of it? Um, as a as a rope access technician looking at the rope trip, kind of look at it like, wow, okay, you're going against everything that we teach in training and stuff like that. And kind of like, it's kind of frowned upon, if you will. Um, so, you know, in rope access, it's all about looking good and being proficient at what you do, right? also being safe. So you want to climb in, in a controlled fashion. You want to be safe. You want to, you don't want to swing. You, you know, are always looking out for one another and, and paying attention to your situation. Um, and you know, you're looking at ways to rig things in a safe controlled fashion for everybody where these are more rigged up in a way to create the biggest wow factor for the spectators which as a competitor is great. However, if you come from a standard background of rope access and only have done rope access through and through, you will run the possibility of being in a position where you're not comfortable, right? You, you, you go into a situation that's put on by a, man, a gear manufacturer and you, they're going to throw things at you you've never seen before if you've only ever done rope access okay but if you are even a rescue technician your theory on multiple pieces of gear is even going to be greater than what a rope access standard rope tech would have because you're going to stand traditionally work for one or two companies and mo for the better part in North America, the gear is pretty standardized between all the companies that you work for. There's very few companies that 
have went out on their limb on their whim and just kind of picked up piece of gear from overseas and was like, Hey, this piece of gear, here's the same standard. I'm going to use this piece of gear instead of that piece of gear. Okay. Now in the, in the rescue service, you guys, you see a way bigger spectrum of gear than what most, most rope access technicians will see. So going into these events as a rope tech, uh, rope access technician is kind of, it gives you the ability to climb and be comfortable, but it doesn't give you the ability to understand how to utilize gear proficiently all the time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but then I ran into a situation in Salt Lake City 2018 where they introduced like lead climbing into the, into the situation. And there was a technician that was on our team that didn't even know what lead climbing was. So thankfully for me and my other teammate, we're both ice climbers and rock climbers, and we know how to lead climb. So we were able to do the lead belaying and lead climbing, be comfortable in that situation. Um, so going into these competitions, you have to not just be a rope tag, you also have to have experience in another field to be proficient and you know, excel at. So they're basically creating diverse people or looking at for diversity just based on the event and the different scenarios they've created. Yeah, because like you have to look at it from a manufacturing standpoint, right? Petzl is a, one of the largest, if not the largest gear manufacturers in the world. They make gear for tactical. They make gear for arborists. They make gear for rock climbers, ice climbers, mountaineers. They make gear for rope access, right? So like how, what better way to showcase all their equipment than introduce little segments of all this, all their different areas of expertise into one competition. So you, this may be a little bit more of an arborist maneuver um arborist technique then this here is a standard rope access technique or this here is more rescue base right like majority of rope access technicians have never seen a kootenai pulley or even having a clue how to even operate it properly right majority of rope access technicians in north america specifically don't even know or how to operate a rigging plate where that's something that you guys that's your standard kit you kootenai pulleys pulley uh a kootenai pulley a you know rigging plates and all those different pieces of gear that's just your everyday job when it comes to a rescue rescue technician right majority of rope access technicians don't know what a skid is or even how how to rig a skid up they don't know what that is Okay. So all in all though, do you find it worthwhile? Did you take stuff away from there that makes you a better, better on rope? Absolutely. Um, it, it gave me the diversity of different avenues. So like, <clears throat> because I primarily am in the rope access industry and, you know, in the rock climbing industries, um, I was able to venture out and do more rope rescue, rescue technician stuff and arborism and show introduce some of that knowledge into what I already know. Um, and then it also just kind of got me a little bit closer to the manufacturing understand because like at these events, you do have these symposiums where they blow equipment up and show you how 
things are tested. And, you know, so getting together with like-minded individuals was also very promising as well. Right on. Um, I think we're running into about an hour here on this. So probably look at wrapping this up, but is there anything else that you wanted to bring up in regards to any of what we've been chatting about today? No, I'm, I'm good. I just uh, appreciate you reaching out to me to do this. No, and I appreciate you taking it up, taking me up on it. Uh, having the different backgrounds for rescue and talking to guys in the rope access and other fields is mm. it gives everybody like we just talked about a little diversity in the craft. Yeah, absolutely. Right on. Well, thank you very much for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you.